We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DGD Podcast, as always, Robert Reynolds, Kobe Pierce. Kobe, welcome back, man. What's up, brother? How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Got a lot to talk about. Um, got, we're going to be talking Auburn a little bit in a little bit, but let's talk some Georgia first. Um, I know you saw Brett Thorson's first day of camp picture. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Well, I mean, I agree. I, I think Brett's got a good sense of humor on him. Um, you know, I think it comes with a little bit of maturity, a little ability to take a joke and realize that, you know, just the culture shock and the realization of like this is a team sport, and you know, somehow I can still be one of the best punters in the country, but I may only get the opportunity to show that, you know, three times a game, maximum. Some games, and there are some games last year he didn't punt at all, like four. Maybe like four games, we didn't punt a single time. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I, I think I think the the everybody but Stetson thing uh, had me had me chuckling pretty good. Uh, just thought that was funny. Uh, but but I want to obviously preface that was a preface to what we're talking about for in a minute here, and that's fall camp, right? Kirby uh, talked earlier, kind of gave us some some rem- uh, some clarification on some injuries, things like that. Right, and then if I'm not mistaken, fall camp starts tomorrow. First fall camp starts tomorrow, so you know, kind of give us a rundown on what that's what that's going to be, what that's going to be like. Yeah, I mean, it, it sucks. They reported a day, as far as I know, but I mean, you're looking at you know, 16 hour days um, for for roughly 14 days uninterrupted, 13 days uninterrupted. Um, they'll have wake up call, which he said in his meeting, like. They're going to go a little bit different. They're going to practice in the morning because some guys have finals tomorrow. So tomorrow will look different. But when they go to normal, it'll be, you know, wake-up call like 6.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30. Breakfast is from like 6 o'clock to maybe like 7.15. And then you have probably team meeting over um, in butts at 7.30. 
um, you probably have a lift group going at eight and meetings for the other side going at eight. And then you both go an hour and then you flip. So then from nine to 10, the other side lifts and then the other group meets. Um, then you probably roll into um, probably like an on the field walkthrough down in the indoor. So from like, what would that be? 10, 11 o'clock. So probably starting at, you know, like you're saying, roughly 1030. You're going to walk through until about 1145. And then they're going to release you and you're going to be released from like 12. Lunch probably be from like 12 to 2, roughly. Um, and you'll have to be like dressed, ready, and taped in the team meeting room by 2.30. And then you will do team meeting again, special teams meeting. You'll do position meeting. Um, and then you probably go out about 4.30, 4.15. You'll do like pre-practice walk, stretch and stride, and then practice will start about 4.30, 4.45. And then you'll go until, you know, roughly 6.45 give or take, maybe seven, and then come in, take a shower. Dinner will start at 7.30, go until probably 8.30, and then you'll have a team meeting back over at the other facility for um, probably from like nine, probably like nine to 10, 10, 15, roughly. And then you'll have snack from like 10, 15 to 11, and then it'll be lights out at 11. And then you'd get up and do it all again the next day. That's like a general. You just repeat the process, man. That's, that's like. like it sounds like a long ass day, dude. That's that's like a really long day. <laughs> but well, I guess with plan, that being said, um, that what was that? You definitely plan. You definitely plan like how quickly can I eat lunch? How long do I have to like take a nap? How long you know can I stay at the facility? Like, what can I not, not really cut the corner, but like, if I can eat lunch in 20 minutes, I have an hour and 40 minutes that I can go take an hour nap in the middle of the day, you know, instead of kind of lingering around, like taking a long time to take a shower, then you got to walk, you know, you, you can kind of get a little bit more free time on the back end um, if you like plan certain meals certain ways. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, obviously, we don't have to go through it but you know that also means when that fall camp starts man it's just one more step closer to the actual right actual meaningful football so there's always that sense of sense of anxiety right just you've been waiting for what nine months what it feels like i think now and it's about to come and next thing you know it'll be gone again <laughs> it's just it's just that's just the way uh the way college football works but um better enjoy this one is all i gotta say yeah i mean there's so much to it i mean you got the last minute uh last year of 14 playoffs you're primed for a three-peat man there's then, so much though last year of uh you know the sec being the way it is last year of pretty much almost every conference being the way it is looking like the pack may or may not make it looking like the acc may or may not make it I mean, it just is a lot of unknowns right now. Um, yeah, there. I mean, the whole. What was it, if I'm not mistaken, they were, the Pac-12 was talking about doing an Apple Plus or something like that. <laughs> like, come on, man! Don't want to pay 99 bucks a year to 
to watch a team out west. That's just that's rough. Yeah. And if there was like I don't know if there was a bunch of meaningful games, if it was like you know I I would see that and be fine. But for the most part, like it's not a good look. It's just not because that's not accessible enough to to genuine like to generate the the viewership that you need. You know what I mean? That's just that's just my thoughts. But then hell, the ACC decided the uh, Florida State, I should say, sitting there basically just voices displeasure out in public, and it's like, well, you know, at that point you start to really wonder if um, if things are uh, you know breaking down in the ACC as well, right? Because you feel that both conferences, it could it would be just weird to start to see the realignment into a two team or two conference type thing or three right with the big 12 but i mean i just don't know how to make it i don't know what to make of it i really don't what do you thought um yeah i i mean i think people dislike the fact that you know really the big east kind of um you know dissipated in in the mid 2000s and then i think from there it's been definitely this like power five um you know, but like we've talked about, the pack hasn't been overly competitive since, you know, when when USC won the last one, 2005. Something like that. It's been a long time, it feels like, yeah. Yeah, you know, but like you're talking about, the pack hadn't won one, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the pack hadn't won one since USC won that one in 2004. Um, and then basically the very next year, Texas wins the one out of the Big 12, roughly. And then basically after that, 2006 is Florida's. Then you go Florida, LSU, Florida. And then you kind of go on the Bama run. And then you like trickle in a Florida state. You trickle in an Ohio state. Um, But in reality, like you're saying, it's just hard to get money into these conferences when you're not winning. We're not winning the big games, I guess, you know. USC has less of a national following now than it did 20 years ago. I would say, you know, they still have a really big following. And, um, you know, there are plenty of schools that still have a big following. But obviously, if the PAC is seriously considering, you know, doing an Apple Plus program with the schools that are left, it just tells you that USC and UCLA leaving really hurt their – you know, what they think they can get in viewership, which which just sucks because then it sends everybody running mm-hmm. to, to super conferences. And I, you know, I'm not a fan of, you know, 18, 20 team super conferences. It just doesn't make any sense to me um, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, that would be, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about it, but at the same time, like, change is inevitable. And it could be coming sooner than we want, you know what I mean? It is here. I mean, I don't even think it's like sooner than we want. Like, I mean, with that meeting happening with the pack, and they only have nine schools right now. And then I thought the Big Twelve did a good job. Like, obviously, they added some schools on the up and up, like UCF, some people like that, BYU, to kind of regain being the Big Twelve again. I thought they did a good job. But the problem is out west for for the pack. Like, who are you going to add out there? You know. I think that's the hard question is there's just not that many dominant schools in that region for power five football that you're like, we're going to be able to hang our hat on 
you know, these four or five schools joining. Not with the same brand by any means. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. Um, let's see. Outside of the outside of the camp and the conference here alignment, was there anything else that we may have missed real fast? I mean, I don't – is there any, anything in the news? Um, it's not football-related, but I just read an article about it earlier. You want to hear it? Do it. Lizzo is being sued for fat-shaming backup dancers that work for her and that whole fiasco. That's very not football related, but I thought it was very a very interesting read. And if you are listening to this, you haven't read that article, um, it definitely, the statements made by that backup dancer paints a pretty vivid picture of the person that she may or may not have been working for for a while. And if that all kind of rolls into the courts, yeesh, it is a rough, it's a rough look. Yeah, hundred percent. Obviously, you know Georgia's got thirty-one days left uh, till we till we strap up. But that doesn't, you know, you still got week zero. Um, what are you looking forward to week zero? Um, was there the one big game, Notre Dame? I think week zero is the big game. I think so. They, they have the big game. Their week zero really does not do a ton for me. Um, besides, maybe give you like a small dose of of what is to come as we welcome on jay crane jake how you doing gentlemen sorry i'm a little bit late uh been been kind of crazy my hair is a little crazy right now but uh uh excited to join you guys as usual now we were talking some week zero and some conference situation hey, we, let, let me week zero though why do we call it that like that it's I, week I, one I, it's week one uh well yeah it's week one like it's like people say patient zero like what y'all were y'all were operating on a ghost? Man said ghost and disappeared. This is interesting. <laughs> Jake, can you hear us? All right. Anyways. Uh, I'm with Pat, though. I was digging the hoodie. Houston Oilers Oilers is hard to come by around these days. It really is. Well, you saw the Titans are breaking out the Oilers uniform for their throwbacks. They they are. They are. So, obviously, we're here to talk some Auburn football. We'll let Jake get situated. But in the meantime, let's talk about the – the biggest factor, and that's Hugh Freeze. What are your thoughts on Hugh Freeze at Auburn so far? I mean, man is man is doing his best 2017 Kirby Smart impersonation with a little bit of NIL to sweeten the pot. I mean, he's him him and the man at Florida State negatively recruiting top top tier powerhouse programs, throwing big time promises of good NIL money at top recruits and. You know, I'm happy for him. Like, at some point, you know, do I want Auburn to be a powerhouse? Maybe not. But to see them get a couple good recruits, you know, first five-star, I think, since like 2018 or 2019, I mean, that's a long time for, for SEC school to be going on a drought. And then even South Carolina with Dylan Stewart. Like, to me, I love keeping those guys in the SEC. 
I'm, I'm glad that Dylan Stewart's not a Ohio State Buckeye or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think Hugh Freeze is going to become a problem quickly. Um, it might be more for Alabama's sake than ours, if that makes sense. Well, Auburn, here's the big thing Auburn and Florida State, historically for Georgia, have always been a problem. Their schools are a little bit easier to get into. They're a lot closer and more convenient for a majority of the state of Georgia, especially South. Let's see. I think, Jake, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear y'all. I, I just, uh, I can't see myself on the camera. I don't know if you can see me. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think it's because you said you were going ghosts, and then yeah, we, you went we ghost. got a black well, screen. It's kind of weird. I, look, I haven't, I haven't done anything to the Russians either. I don't know what's going on. Who knows at this point? I really don't. I can't tell you there. If we can hear you, let's just roll with it that way. And if, in Do the it. meantime, we can get situated. All right. So we were talking Hugh Freeze, man. Um, yeah. Obviously, coming in, making waves on the recruiting trail. So, want to get your thoughts. What's it like looking like Auburn fans? How are they feeling with Hugh Freeze there? Well, look, I, I think, you know, since the Harson hostage crisis is uh, is over now, there's kind of been a breath of fresh air. I mean, Hughes hit the ground running in recruiting. And um, look, it, it's something where Auburn's got a long way to go. But you, you look at the, what he did in the transfer portal. You look at it seems like all of Auburn is aligned, DGD. And, and that's something that, that we haven't had in the past. And look, you know, we're all a fan of somebody. I'm an Auburn fan, but, you know, we cover all of it. And uh, I'm, I'm harder on Auburn than anybody. And there's been a lot of fracturing in the fan base and the, you know, the, the boosters and the coaches and things like that. But it, at least right now, it seems like everybody's aligned and that Hughes out here putting the work in. I mean, we obviously know what happened with Demarcus Riddick, with Perry Thompson. Looks like they're about to get Dre Carter, TJ Lindsay, possibly KJ Bolden, even though I think that's 50-50 right now. And uh, we had Josh Newberg on our show and he said it's Georgia till it isn't. And with the way that Georgia's recruiting, uh, I, I tend to lean that way, but uh, it just—it feels like Auburn's organized. Everybody's kind of moving in the same direction, and uh, what he's done, you know, off the field, uh, on the field as well, is—it's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, and you're not wrong. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, we saw his track record at uh, at Ole Miss, right, when he was in the SEC to begin with, right? We saw. You know, we saw the things, right? I think everybody wants to paint that picture, right, and, and leave it there. But I think, you know, his time at Liberty and everything hopefully changed the man, right? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you, you look, he's won everywhere he's been, and the only time he didn't win was because of self-inflicted wounds. And, and I don't think he's going to make that same mistake twice when you see your professional life when you're at the mountaintop kind of flash before your eyes. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think Hugh that knows how to win. Uh, I think he understands where he screwed up, and he's kind of owned that. And and we'll see. But he's done it before, you know. No, you're not wrong. I mean, you look at right, Perry Thompson. Uh, his comments were interesting to me. Um, I heard it. You know, it sounded like a debate between Bama and Auburn fans, basically talking about how Saban didn't develop. Uh, maybe I mis misread that or whatever. But um, you know, I, I don't think that makes any sense however yeah yeah however. well i mean listen that just they, they're not recruiting him because he's great at giving speeches oh, he's, he's he wins man that's that's what you do yeah play. i feel like it's 180 degree change from uh harson is, is that fair to assume there Jay? yeah I, I would i i agree with you 100 percent. i mean look and, and i wanted it to work out with brian harson the thing that was the most disappointing 
about Brian Harson isn't that he doesn't know ball or that he can't develop players or doesn't have a good plan. He didn't put in the work recruiting. How in the hell do you think you can come into a conference where the greatest of all time, Nick Saban's 190 years old, still putting in all the work in recruiting, the hardest recruiter, Kirby Smart, who is running the sport, who is one of the hardest recruiters, and you're going to come into Auburn and be a house cat. You know, I think my brother said it best. You got to be out in the jungle right now with a bow and arrow hunting for your dinner. Like, that's the only way to survive recruiting in this league. And that's what Hugh's doing. And I was shocked that Brian Harston just wanted to lift weights and talk about accountability and not go out and recruit. I mean, I don't know. As I felt like he burned a lot of bridges with relationships, too, that, that you know, I think Hugh Freeze came in. And, I, I mean, we all know how this goes with Auburn, though. The boosters, you know, helped drive that program, too. Um, yeah, yeah, like everybody's. <laughs> Kobe, you got something? Yeah, I guess the big thing with Brian Harson too, is, like, you can't even lean on the on the rapport that you have with coaches in the state, coaches in the area, coaches in the south. I mean, coming from Boise State, coming from nowhere, Idaho, you know, you don't have that track record down here where guys go, oh, yeah, let's go play for Brian Harson. He can develop, you know, X, Y, Z. You go play for Kirby Smart, you're probably going to be a first-round draft pick. You know, on the defense, you go play for Nick Saban. You're going to play for a lot of a lot of big games, big meaningful games. You know, you, you just don't have that same vibe when Auburn was walking into your high school and your head coach or athletic director goes, hey, the head coach from Auburn is here to see you. You're like, mm. yeah. I yeah, really wish they, that would have been somebody else here to see me. Well, you know, and, and every circumstance is different. You know, you can only – it's like the transfer portal, right? You can only get what the market bears. And the way it went down – uh, with Kevin Steele and all that stuff, and it was messy, and, you know, Alan Green went and picked Brian Harson. And I would just think, though, if I was coming into a place where I didn't have these relationships, I would work three times as hard as everybody else in recruiting. I wouldn't sit back and think that the players would just come to me when I don't have that track record. Nick Saban could sit back and players would go to Bama. Kirby Smart could sit back if he wanted – and players would go to Georgia. Now, not at the level they are when he's out there recruiting because the head coach is the ultimate closer, but it just, again, it goes back to just me being shocked that the man did not want – Auburn didn't have a junior day one year. That's insane. That is insane. That, that's this isn't set you Boise back. State. That's like, setting you just, back. That stuff blows my mind. Yeah, that's going to set you back. Not having that junior day, man, I don't think he really – I don't think that – the ramifications of that matter like were obvious because that will set you back multiple years. Yeah, well, multiple it's like that song more. by The Fray. Everyone knows I'm in over my head, over my head, and that's exactly what it was. Absolutely, man. I mean, so I do want to. I do want to ask you. Um, obviously, we've talked about Hugh Freeze, but obviously, you know, what are your expectations with the new coordinators? Right, you got Philip Montgomery and what Ron Roberts, I think it is. Um, what are your expectations for both of those guys? What do you think Auburn can look like um, this season? Well, you know, I think they're, they've been around long enough to, a know, to know you have to adjust to your personnel, right? Like you have what you want to do, and then you have what you're able to do. Those are two different things. I think offensively, even though Phil Montgomery is going to call the plays, and look, play calling is a team effort. A lot of people don't understand that because they've never been on the headset during the game. You, you've got a lot of different voices in there that are telling you what they're seeing. Guys are looking at different spots. Hey, what's the offensive line like? Uh, you know, what are they feeling? How, how's it going? Um, but I think what you're going to get, you're going to get that RPO system. 
that puts pressure on two, three different points at a time. And you're going to get, you're going to take what the defense gives you. That's one of the beauties of that style of offense. But with Phil Montgomery, you know, he comes from that Art Bryles, I'm going to change, I'm going to mess with the splits. I'm going to change the spacing. You're going to get different combinations. Tennessee does a little bit of it. That's why it looks like they're wide all the time. They're trying to change the way you align uh, because you're not used to seeing it. It's almost like the triple option of the outside. You're just not used to seeing it. It's hard to prepare for but uh, when it comes down to it, Auburn's offense is going to go on whether how that offensive line goes. And when you look at the quarterback position, you've got two different guys, Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford. Those are your two guys. Well, both of them are kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. When you're running that RPO system, you need a dual threat guy. Does Peyton Thorne run the ball well enough to have defenses have to respect his legs on the RPO action? Does Robbie Ashford throw it well enough, on the other hand, to be able to have the defense respect that too, to have that offense operate at maximum efficiency. Now on the defensive side, Ron Roberts wants to pressure, right? That's who he is. But he also, just like every other defensive coordinator of all time, would love to be able to put four guys out there and be able to rush the passer, right? And then be able to manipulate off that. Does Auburn have that? I don't know. That's the biggest question on the team. Not can they stop the run, can they rush the passer and get their ass off the field on third down? That's what it comes down to. So um, I think what you're going to see from Ron Roberts in the defense early, you're going to get a lot of base, and they're going to see what they're able to do. Am I able to get pressure with four? If I'm able to get pressure with four, then I can build pressures off of that, and I don't got to go try and sell the throw the kitchen sink at people to try and create turnovers and get people in third and long. So I, I think a lot of it is going to come down to the personnel it always does. Uh, and we'll know that after the first couple games. But they are experienced. Yeah, I was about to say, I know they, I know. Um, as soon as Hugh came in, it seemed like uh, they hit the portal for some big-time receivers. And what I mean by that is some tall guys, right? I think you look at his track record with Ole Miss, right, with DK and um, what, Brown, AJ. right? AJ, yeah. You know, he can, he can – I, I think you can utilize those receivers – and you saw some receivers come in. I think that was a big thing that was needed out, honestly. Um, you know, when you look at last year, uh, there really wasn't – you know, it's, it feels like maybe what last two or three years, Kobe, it's probably been – I know at one point D-Rob was Auburn's best receiver. Um, that's kind of telling. So I think you look at Hugh Freeze coming in and kind of immediately changing those perceptions, right? Um, but I do want to know – What's the latest on Jarquez Hunter? Right, if I'm not mistaken, there was some off-season stuff. Yeah. Jake, what's do you know any? What's the latest with that? Um, you know, it's been they, they haven't really talked a lot about it. Uh, I would be surprised if he is suspended. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it was just for the first game. Um, Auburn's been, and this is smart. Auburn is letting the university do what they need to do, right? And at the end of the day, you always defer to letting the university do their due diligence, coming together to make a decision. I don't think there's going to be some big suspension. I think if he is suspended, um, you know, it'll probably be the first game. Uh, but outside of that, I think he's going to be ready to go. And then back to the back to the offensive coordinator, you know, correct me here if I'm wrong, definitely from more of a Georgia fan's perspective, I think college football fan's perspective, do you feel like the new OC will have a better tendency I think one of the biggest complaints is is not feeding the hot hand. You know, Tank Bigsby. I think a lot of a lot of people outside looking in at Auburn the past couple of years have seen some Tank Bigsby games where he's you know looked like he could have had 12, 15 more carries. Kind of seemed like you cut him off early. 
tried to do a couple things besides feed maybe the best player on the field. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's a that's a issue even Georgia's had trouble with, obviously, embarrassment by riches. But, you know, I think that it's one thing that Kirby's talked about Bobo's system is that, you know, don't don't count on three running backs all getting eight carries anymore. Like, if, if somebody's running well today, they may get 22 kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, you know, obviously it's a new regime now, but I'll, I'll say this. I, I think when we talk about feeding the hot hand, obviously if you got a great matchup out there and that guy's cooking, are the, are the offensive lines dominating and the running backs feeling it, they're in good sync, you want to feed the hot hand. But there's also a play when there's the hot hand that defense adjusts what they're doing to stop that hot hand. And if I know that the defense is adjusting – I can catch them with their pants down at other spots. Because if all of a sudden we're beating you up in the run game and you're walking those safeties down and you're trying to run stunt, well, now I may have a matchup somewhere else that I didn't have in the beginning of the game. Now, all of a sudden, that play action hits twice as hard. So I think there's a needle to be threaded in between feeding the hot hand and taking advantage of having the hot hand. And I do think that's where that good blend of Phil Montgomery and Hugh Freeze coming together will be able to fix that. I, I want to ask you this, right? What? So Auburn was not good last year, right? I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah no, the, that's fair to say. The expectations this year I think are going to be substantially different, right? I think you actually have someone that's competent enough with enough support um, to get them. To the, and I think what I mean by the support is you see the support in the way y'all are recruiting right now. Right, like we, we get that, yeah. Right? Because when you, it, it's easy. Auburn is easy to judge, right? With with how they support their coaching staff and their head coach for sure. I mean, if, if you see them pulling recruiting wins, things like that, more than likely you've got their support, right? And I think that's on full display right now with Hugh Freeze. Um, you know, it's a, I don't understand why they didn't try to go for him initially, but I guess maybe he's needed some time in Liberty or whatever. I guess, you know, changing his life, but. Uh, with that being said, though, I, I want to ask your opinion ahead of the season, right? I know, obviously, you know, big week five matchup in Jordan-Hare against Georgia. Um, you know, I want to get your opinions on the season. What do you think that record expectations would be? Like, realistic, you know, worst case, best case. What, what are your feelings, expectations there for Auburn uh, in regards to a record this season? Yeah, well, you know, fan is short for fanatical. And at a place like Auburn, the expectation is always high, but – you know, man, I, I, I grew up in it. I played it. I, I coached for nine years, six at the Division One level. And, you know, I, I, Auburn hadn't sent me a check yet. So, you know, I, I look at everything from a, a balanced point of view. I mean, I know how the sausage is made. I think a great year would be eight and four. Um, I think the ceiling is nine and three. I'm not ready to make a prediction yet. I, I, uh, I wait till the end of fall camp because I need to see who gets hurt, who wins what job, uh, not only for the team I'm projecting, but who they're playing. You know, if somebody goes down at quarterback at a team you're playing, that may change the way I feel about the game. Um, but I, I think if it's seven and five, uh, it needs to be the right seven and five. Uh, but I think eight and four is very gettable because Auburn's non-conference. You know, th th there's a chance that Auburn could sweep the non-conference, and if you do that and and you split in conference, and there's some very winnable games I think in the conference, and if you you surprise uh, a team or two, I think nine and three is the ceiling. I think eight and four is a legitimate, rational expectation. And I think that'd be a really good year. 
But now that you said that, let's let's just re- let's just pop off the schedule for Auburn this year, uh, and kind of see. You know, I want to get what your you know you said the right seven and five, right? Let's see what that looks like. So first things first, you you uh, you're on the you're hosting UMass before going to Cal and having a, a game out in California. Then you host all uh, Samford and then go to Kyle Field. Week five against Georgia at home, right? Before a bye week. Then you got LSU on the road. Uh, Ole Miss at home. Mississippi State at home. Vanderbilt on the road. Uh, Arkansas on the road. Then New Mexico State following up before the Iron Bowl, which you are home as well. Uh, show us or tell us how, what the right seven and five years you speak of outside of the well, yeah. outside of the non-conference. Yeah, well, well, let's uh, – all right, outside of the non-conference – I would say to me, you know, obviously beating Vandy on the road, that, that's when you really need to win. Nobody wants to lose to Vanderbilt. But I think if you're able to take one of at AM or Arkansas, or if you drop both of them, I don't think you're winning at LSU. I, I just I don't see it with the team that they have. If you're able to take one of two against AM, beat Vandy on the road and somehow split one of Bama and Georgia, which would most likely be Bama, in my opinion. I think that's the right seven and five. If you lose to Bama, if you lose to your rivals and just win the games you're supposed to win, I believe that still gets you to seven and five, but you're not really excited about anybody you beat. So I, I think that's the best way to put it. Because, I mean, looking at the, I mean, look, like you said, the non-conference, UMass, that's an easy dub. Cal, I think, will be an easy dub, even on the road, uh, you know, Samford should be an easy dub, but don't sleep on that. Florida fans will tell you not to sleep on them. Um, you know, but then you, like I said, you go to New Mexico State, easy dub. So there's your four wins off the rip, like you mentioned. You know, the Alabama game, we, we know how this goes. Auburn is built on some voodoo graveyard. I, I'll die yeah. on that hill. I'll die on that hill. Kobe, you've played there. You know what I'm talking about. But the good thing is this year, you know, you do host Georgia and Auburn in your home stadium, right, rather than going on the road, right? We saw what happened last season, right, with the Iron Bowl. I think you get another kind of game like that. But ultimately, though, Jake, my thing is I think I think your season legitimately depends upon your quarterback selection. And it's so cliché but I think it's so effective and accurate in this case this year. Like you mentioned, you've got two completely different style quarterbacks, right? One, Robbie Ashford is very mobile, right? But the accuracy issues, can those get squared away? Peyton Thorne comes in and, you know, you're questioning his ability to run, right? Thinking it's going to be an RPO system. I mean, what are your who, who do you think wins the starting job? Yeah, well, look, I'm, I'm from the school of I don't think you bring in transfer portal guys or JUCO guys to sit the bench. You brought him in for a reason. I said the same thing about Tyler Buckner in Alabama. They didn't bring him in to hold a clipboard because everything was great. Uh, they brought him in because they thought he could win the job. What I think is going to happen is Peyton Thorne is going to be named the starting quarterback, but they're going to use Robbie Ashford a lot in third and short, fourth and short, red zone situations because it's not wildcat when you bring him in. He throws the ball well enough you know, where you do have to at least respect it a little bit, but it gives you a much more, you can hit the perimeter with Robbie Ashford, right? If it's not working on the inside, he can get you that fourth and a yard and a half. If it's not uh, working, uh, if it's not, if it's something where, you know, you have a, a, that run pass option built in, he can throw it well enough 
to be able to hit that open guy on that out route to get the first down or hit the slant if the nickel overplays it or throw the jump pass or something like that. So I think Peyton's going to win the job. I think he's going to be your primary guy, but you'll get Robbie Ashford probably around 15 to 20 snaps. So, I mean, I think Thorne opens up the offense for what it needs to be. Just, just obviously from a small sample size here, last year against Georgia, I don't want to hold – I don't want to hold the standard against Georgia, but kind of will, right? He just looked uncomfortable the entire game. And it just never could get into a rhythm, forced him to roll out. We, we saw how mobile he was. But I, I think Auburn's going to have the receivers to, to help the quarterback, right? I think my another question, though, is how can the offensive line hold up, right? I yeah, think well, that's going to matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, other than that, though, I think the offense is, would be interesting to see. I think it's going to look completely different, right? I, especially if Peyton Thorne wins the uh, the job. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the thing about the Georgia game last year was Auburn couldn't run the ball, and Robbie Astor isn't a guy that can just sit back there in the pocket and and pick you apart. That's not his game. I mean, you want to be balanced in general, but especially when you have Robbie Astor there, and they had to roll him out because they couldn't protect him in the pocket, and so you made yourself. Instead of one-dimensional, now you're half-dimensional. You can only use half the field, and you can't run the ball. I mean, you're dead in the water. I do think what they brought in on the offensive line with Avery Jones, Dylan Wade, and the muskrat kid from Tulsa, uh, uh, Britton from Western Kentucky, who I think is an NFL tackle. They've got a, uh, Cam Stutz at guard. Uh, they've got a capable backup swing guy in Connor Lou and a Juco tackle who I think can fill in. Not that they're going to be the best offensive line in the country, but I think they're going to be a whole heck of a lot better than they were last year, and that's going to lead to them being more balanced. And I'll tell you this. If I can take the best version of Robbie Ashford versus the best version of Peyton Thorne, I'm taking Robbie Ashford. But I just don't know if he throws the ball well enough yet to be able to be the best version of that. And Peyton Thorne has a ton of experience. A, a ton, and that's the unteachable and tangible. Yeah, it's hard to overcome the experience. I think – Kobe, you you've seen how it works firsthand. I mean, you know, I don't have, to, I don't think it's worth sitting there trying to go on a long rant and rant tangent about it. Well, yeah, that's what I was trying to bring up a little bit earlier too. Is like you're talking about the difference between nine and three, seven and five, the kind of season you have, the kind of season it feels like you have. You know, really, when I hear the schedule that you read off, you know, and and hearing Jake talk. It's really you're going to be judged on the Arkansas game, the Ole Miss mm-hmm. game, and the Texas A&M game. That yeah. that's what your fan base is going to judge you off of. Can you stop and slow down KJ Jefferson and Rocket Sanders? Can you stop and slow down the Ole Miss offense? And can you handle Texas A&M with a coach that a lot of people are leaning to wanting out of there? Possibly, you know, you you come out and you win two of those games. It's a really good season for Auburn football. Yeah. You Especially in year one. Those right? games, I mean, people are going to have some, you know, they're going to maybe no pitchforks, but people are going to be a little upset. I think I, I think with how Auburn fans are, man, and, and Jake, you know this is how this is 100%. Depending upon how y'all season goes, even year one, you're going to be on edge. I mean, in a good way or a bad way. Like, yeah, just, always. Why? That's what makes it fun. What what game do you have circled on the schedule for Auburn this year uh, in regards to the most excited to see? And then, uh, so it's a two part of one being the most excited to see, two 
the biggest game that is a must-win for Auburn? What are those two games? Well, I, I'd say the one that, that I'm the most excited to see is against A&M because that's the first team you're going to play that probably has a better roster than you do, or at least a roster that's the same as yours. Um, you're going to have a better team than every team you play before that, and you, you're really not 100% going to know until you go out there, especially on the road, in a tough environment. Uh, I would say the game that that I would say I'm the most excited to see, I mean, is, is the first one. Uh, I, I want to see what the offense looks like. I wanna, even if it's bread and butter and peanut butter and jelly, I want to see what, what type of bread you're making it with. You know, what type of peanut butter is it? Is it extra crunchy? Is it thin? You know, what type of jelly are you going with? You going with grape jelly? Are you, are you being a little exotic? Are we going jam? You know, I, I don't know. So uh, I, I think at the end of the day, just seeing who kind of Auburn is, where the personnel is, how kind of the, the, the game is flowing, how much they pressure on defense. That that's what I'm interested to see. How how organized are they? Are you organized on special teams? Are you getting a lot of dead ball penalties, false starts, offsides, hitting guys late, doing stupid things? That's gonna let me know how mature the team is. I was about to bring in the culture then, as well too. And then on top of that, you know, are you are you lining up incorrectly? Does your defense yeah. seem lost? Does your offense seem lost? Is your offensive line kicking to the wrong, you know, linebacker. For you know, sure. You, the you quarterback some... calling the right protection. I mean, are, is, are it, you, is the center identifying yeah. the mic ID the right, are you, are correctly? Are you the like run that. right? Just little things. Because that's what football is. It's a, and you, you guys know this. It's a bunch of little things that add up to one big thing. And I think I 100% agree with you with the Texas A&M game being very exciting for, for you um, as, as an Auburn fan. But I think as an SEC fan, it's going to be a good – test to tell you okay how does Auburn stack up compared to last year how does Texas A&M stack up compared to last year and kind of what trajectory are both of these programs going towards you know year one under Hugh Freeze and year I don't even know under um, Jimbo now like five or six I can't keep up Jake off the record kind of question here for you does Jimbo and Petrino work out yes or no Man, I actually think it's going to work out um, it, just because I, I, I do think Jimbo – or excuse me, I think Bobby has enough cachet to be able to really kind of take that thing by the reins. And, look, Jimbo wants to look smart, right? Jimbo hired him. If Bobby Petrino goes in there and the offense is great, Jimbo looks like a humble genius. Like, listen, I, I gave away my favorite part of the game uh, to somebody that I hired that I trusted. I'll tell you when we'll know. You, it better be good early. When you have two guys with egos like that, it better go good early. And that first third and seven play call against Miami is going to be awfully interesting. And I think that's going to be – I never want to put the season down to one game, but with the way it's gone for A&M, that Miami game is going to be a basket full of interest in. I promise you that. Uh, they better not let Miami win. <laughs> it's, well, it's like any – I think it's like any um, – and you know this from coaching, obviously. You, you spend all offseason – and you make these promises to recruit, especially now with NIL, especially now with a new coaching staff, all this. You go, just give me time. We had a bad year last year. It's not who we are. Just give me time. We're going to turn this thing around. We're going to be better. We're going to be more efficient. We're going to be more explosive. You get, you know, a nice Smith to come back. You have all of these weapons. If you go out there and lay an egg early in the season – 
and all of a sudden it's not just the coaches, it's the players more than anything yeah. that are going, wow, we, we've done, you know, winter lifts, summer conditioning, fall camp, and we still suck. Yeah, no, it's, that's, a real, that's a real thing. And especially, you know, if the offense is playing bad, that, that creeps into the defense. You can say all you want, hey, we'll take care of it. But at the end of the day, you know if the offense is bad. And A&M, one of the biggest problems they've had is the culture over there. And when it's gone bad, it's gone really bad. You know, they've kind of uh, sold the boat, per se, when it's gone bad. Now, do they have that fixed? We'll see. It's something that can be fixed. But, yeah, it, it needs to go good early. They need a lot of positive momentum early. And if they get it, they have good enough players to be really dangerous. I want to I focus on something real fast. I want to focus on week five. If, if Auburn has any shot to win against Georgia, what, what needs to happen? Uh, I, I would say it's Carson Beck's first true road test at a very hostile place. I think he had a lot of turnovers. I think they're going to have to – Georgia's so much better than Auburn is up front. They're going to have to keep him in the game by making mistakes, penalties on third down that extend drives, uh, you know, busting the coverage here, turning the ball over, maybe giving up a special teams touchdown or a defensive touchdown. And Auburn's going to have to play clean. Uh, now, that's not to say that if Auburn goes out there and plays their best game and Georgia plays good – that Auburn can't win it because you have that home field advantage. But but I, I really think Georgia, I think Carson Beck's going to have to pan it, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I'm – go ahead, Cody. It's going to look like Missouri 2022. Yeah, they yeah. hang around, right? Yeah. One of those games you just hang around and hang Loud. around. And hang well, around. Just like Just like Iron Bowl last year. Full of believing – I mean, yeah. believing goes a long way for Hell, a Hell, yeah. You get to that – you get you – get, a couple minutes into that third quarter and it's close and, and you're still working, that's when you really start to believe, right? Because it's like they say in basketball, most important time of the game, first five minutes of the game, first five minutes after halftime. I believe it's the same way in college football. So Sacred Grove asked a good question, uh, guys. Uh, what, what do you think the Auburn record will be come week five? I think there's a good chance – that Auburn comes into week five undefeated. And if that happens, um, that will be a very interesting game. That'll be uh, a primetime game. That, that's it, would have, you, it would have to be. Play all four games before us or the non-conference games? No, you have A&M the week before. Yeah. Okay. I would say the smart money is probably on three and one. Yeah. But knowing the way that, that Auburn operates, for some reason, we play really well against A&M on the road. I, I don't know what it is. And I'm not a big trends guy. Um, but I, I will say this. Even if you go into the game three and one and you played A&M close, uh, sometimes going into it coming off a loss isn't the worst thing. Now, look, I'd love to be four and oh. I'm not going to sit here and lie like I want to be three and one. But, you know, you'll come in confident if you're 4-0. You also come in with a ton of pressure to see if you can go 5-0. and And, hey, it's Auburn for real, for real, because the questions only get harder as you go along undefeated. Y'all know that. Um, but I would say right now, gun to my head, 3-1. and one. Yeah, sometimes that's tough pressure, like you're saying. It's that 2021 Arkansas that rolled into town like 5-0, and o, number eight in the country. 
Yeah. Just an ass whooping from yeah. you know, start of the bell. You don't want necessarily so much media talk saying Auburn's back at four and oh that someone goes out and proves a point. Yeah. You know, and it, well the other team yeah. starts believing, hey, we better take these cats serious. Yeah. It's a high class problem. Well, yeah, I think you look at it though, man. Like, just for the sake of entertainment, I could easily see a path to get y'all four and zero heading oh, yeah. to Georgia. I think that A and M game is probably fifty five forty five. Talking about percentage wise, A and M right now, I, I think it could go either way. Well, I think and, I think the defense. Like, my thing is, I feel like Auburn's defense is going to be better this year. I just don't know how much and, I, and how I deep hope, how deep the defense is. Last year, it's going to come down to the pass rush. It's 55-45 right now. Let Texas A&M play Miami, and we'll know a lot more on those. That's exactly right. That's yeah, exactly right. Without a doubt. Well, I mean, Miami's not that good anyway. So, well, I, I mean, they got, they're, they're talented up front. They're just young. Fair, I suppose. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think y'all are right in regards to the, to the Miami litmus test, if you will. Um, I, again, I think, I, I mean, there's – if if Auburn is four and zero heading into the Georgia game, first off, we know that place is going to be rocking. No questions asked. Oh, it'll be nuts. No questions I hope asked. It's raining. Yeah, y'all are gonna Auburn will pull a fucking rain dance and sit there and start bringing the voodoo graveyard up and legitimately see like an Indian spirit or something, you know, just floating around. Yeah. You know, hey, who yeah, knows? Yeah. Who knows what happens here? The, you got to kick the giant eagle in the balls. Well, you know, speaking of the eagle, man. Um, no, in all seriousness, so I think I think that would, you know, I feel like Kobe Georgia has looking at the schedule, no real like true what feels like true test, right? That perception could change if Auburn is four zero heading into Week Five. Now, in the grand scheme of things, hindsight, right? Jake, you probably would understand this. Like you look at say, an undefeated Auburn week five, right? If Georgia goes and just decimates Auburn, right, and then things in Auburn finishes like, you know, eight and four, would you think the perception would still be Georgia didn't I'll play nobody? It. Oh, oh, the perception of Georgia. I was about to say, I'll take it. Uh, no, no, I know, yeah. Well, I mean, for Auburn's uh, sake, yeah. I would say the, the perception of Georgia, I mean, look, I, I think everybody's perception of Georgia is that, you know, they're – because Carson Beck's walking into a great situation. Um, I, I think, I think everybody, the keys expects to a, Georgia, everybody expects Georgia to roll through the regular season. I don't think it changed the perception of Georgia. I think it would reinforce the perception of Georgia. I mean, Carson Beck woke up in a new Bugatti. Okay. I'm just, guess, so. just guessing. Correct me if I'm wrong here, either one of you. I just guess the thing that irritates me the most about, like, oh, cupcake schedule for Georgia this year. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day, and, I mean, for as long as I can remember, the way that you had a good year, I mean, Cincinnati is a great example. I hate that, you know, compare us to Cincinnati, is everything used to have to line up perfectly. You had to have a good recruiting class in. They had to be, you know, juniors or seniors. You had to be a little older. And then you had to dodge a couple people on your schedule that year. Your schedule yeah. had to be a little more home-friendly for you. And then all of a sudden you're 11-1, and 12-0, and 0, and you've made that run. You know, it, you would have to prove there just aren't that many teams that run the full gauntlet of hard home, you know, away tested schedule 
and then still come out the other end unscathed. Yeah. Well, there have been plenty of national championships have had easy 12 game schedules. Yeah. Well, you know, this, like, no, you're not going to play great for, for every game. Right. And in the, in the SEC, you, you probably play your best at max four, maybe, and this is rare to have all three phases play their best, maybe five games a year. Right. It's those games where you're not playing your best that you just got to make it through. And that's what makes the SEC so tough is that every week's a fight. And, and when you're the top dog, pun intended, everybody wants to play their best game against you. I mean, you look at the, the Georgia, for example. Hell, go back to the Kent State game last year. I mean, you're you're the Missouri game. There's games where you're not going to be playing at your best that you still have to find a way to win. And I hate the term easy schedule or cupcake schedule in the SEC. That doesn't exist. Maybe in the non-conference it exists. And that's not Georgia's fault this year because the Oklahoma situation. But I, I that's why I say you have lighter schedules and you have heavier schedules. There's no such thing as an easy schedule in the SEC or a cupcake schedule. You got to go to Tennessee. You got to go to Auburn. I mean, there, there's, there, it's not a walk in the park. So anybody that thinks that is, that's a very casual take to me. Well, and to me, you have a Power Five last game of the season against an in-state rival. It's also not Georgia's fault that they have been traditionally horrendous over the past six to eight years. I mean, that's yeah, not yeah, – I mean, we're not going to replace Georgia Tech just because they're bad. No, and you shouldn't. It's just, again, and football's cyclical. It always will be. It's like 20 years from now, everybody will run the triple option. Like, it's just that's how it is. I mean, teams go up and down. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, Georgia, do they have the hardest schedule they've ever had? No. Do they have an easy schedule? No, this is a hard game because it's the ultimate team sport. Uh, but I do think that Georgia, from a personnel standpoint, from an organizational program standpoint, they're in the best spot every week to go out and win. So Sacred Grove brings up most teams don't want to go to Tennessee and Auburn, and, and I think that's right. You know, there's another thing, though, right? You look at Georgia's cupcake in air quotes. Um, you know, the teams that are calling it a cupcake schedule are on our schedule. They make up our schedule. Those are the fans that are calling for well, that. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, what else trash are they going to talk about Georgia? It's nothing more back-to-back national championships. Like, what when, – when they're having to say that, that means you, you're in a great spot. I wish – I wish, you know, I, there's a lot of teams that wish that would be the only knock against them. Hey, your team's so good that your schedule seems easier. I mean, listen, out of the people – the fans that I've heard – bitching and complaining about Georgia having a cupcake schedule were fans of teams on our schedule. And I was just – I literally just had to stop and be like, you do realize your your team is makes our cupcake schedule, right? I just want you to understand that. Yeah, so yeah. do the math. Do the math. I, I do want to do this real fast. I want to talk some playoff uh, talk real fast, Jake, but i got to give a shout-out to our sponsors. First one, guys, first one, y'all know them. I have it every single morning. Apotheos Coffee, baby. Apotheos Coffee, located in Kennesaw, Georgia. 30 years of crafting experience. Um, you know, listen, scan the QR code, give them a follow, get you a bag of, first off, get you a bag of coffee, folks. Get you, look at this bag of coffee right there. Get you something like that. But, anyways, Jake, I got to ask one question. Four team playoff, 
last season, right? Four team playoff. Yeah. Who are your four teams, and who do you have winning it? Well, like I said, I uh, I, I typically I, I don't make my predictions until the end of fall camp, but I'll tell you where I'm leaning right now. If if I think you're going to get Georgia in, I think you're going to get LSU in. I think you're going to get Michigan in, and I think you're going to get Texas in. Those are the four. That I'm. That's where I'm leaning right now. I think that'd be fair. You know, I like it. Uh, let's see. Mitch has Georgia, Michigan, Texas, USC. That's fair. I just as Alex Grinch is there, man. I get so worried about their defense, like yeah. USC's defense. I'm Pac-12's always concerned. Pac-12 cannibalize itself, dude. It did. It, it was a perfect example last season. Perfect example. Um. I know you got to get ready to go. Uh, Sacred Grove mentions Georgia, Texas, Washington, and Michigan Ooh. with a three-peat. Um, listen, if you choose someone out of that uh, Pac-12, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm I'm watching out for the ACC. I, I want to see if Florida State can capitalize on the momentum in the preseason and, and ride out a good season and get to the playoffs. If they can handle Clemson, I think there's a solid chance of them getting there. But I, I expect... Clemson and Florida State to possibly play twice. What was yeah. this season, The first five weeks, they play LSU. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. by week six, you'll know if Florida State is, you know, contender or pretender. I mean, obviously, in, outside yeah. of an injury, yeah, 100%. Jake, I know you said you got to run, sir. Um, where can people – you know, speaking of, didn't didn't Tim Brando just join on y'all's show and say that Michigan could be winning it all? Is that true? Yeah, he did. You need to go check it out. His, uh, his top ten, he kind of does it different. He does how the top ten is going to look at the end of the season, which I think is fascinating. Mm. He picked uh, Michigan to win it all. Didn't have Texas in the top 15. Didn't have Oklahoma in the top 15. Oof. Didn't have Florida State Oof. in the top 15. So, yeah, go to uh, YouTube. It's Crane & Company. We're almost at 100,000. Uh, we go live each weekday morning, 730 to 9 a.m. Eastern, live calls. A live chat. We talk a ton of ball, and uh, it's a great time, man. And I always love coming on with you, DTV. You know that. Absolutely. Hey, tell so tell tell your brother that he's yeah. mad. He's mad. I I'll tell him. I, that'll be the. I can't wait to tell him that. Absolutely, absolutely. I gotta. I'd l- I'd love to come on the show just for one second, just so I could tell uh, Adam to get off his lawn. Dude, you should you should call in, and we'll move you straight to the top, and just keep him telling he's mad. Right, let's would, do it. That would that would fill me. Oh, Jesus. Got to catch that. Anyways, hey, make sure to go follow Jake. Go tune in. Subscribe on the YouTube channel, Crane and Company. Worth the shot. I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, it's worth the listen, folks. I'm just going to leave man, that I there. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, this I love is, what you is, got going, man. Keep rolling. Hey, this is the OG Booster Club situation. Oh, for sure. The OG Triple OG. They don't know about that. They, they ain't ready for that. Anyways, man, hey, thanks for coming on and talking some Auburn football, trying to get a feel for Auburn ahead of the season. Uh, like I said, make sure to go follow Jake and ha- have a good one, Jake. Hey, y'all be good, man. Good to talk to y'all. Cody, good to talk to you, buddy. See you, Jake. With that being said, Kobe, learned a lot, a little, a little bit of, about some Auburn football tonight. What are your thoughts uh, as we kind of get ready to wrap this thing up, man? What are your, what are your takeaways from what you think about Auburn could be this season? I hope they get three and nine. I didn't want to say the Jake here, but I mean, oh, I would have. I would have. I just can't like them. I just—it's it, Auburn, man. They just—it's Auburn. Something deep down inside me. 
Except Biden. one. Except one. Nope. Nope. If one no, was one. on there, he would be just on up there with everybody else. Um, <laughs> I just don't think I'm over the, um, you know, prayer and Jordan hair still. And then also, just kidding, I'm over the 2017 ass whooping because we, we – We got it back. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we but got it back. prayer and Jordan hair kind of – Stings a little bit. I will tell you this though. Um, I think South Carolina and Auburn need to watch out for a man named Mike Bobo because I think that he will be out for a little, little nasty revenge. Well, people, man, I don't know how many times I've heard people say that Bobo ain't gonna be shit at Georgia now, and I'm sitting here thinking about this, and it's like he has Georgia's point per game record. Right, with way less talent now, and a way better defense right now, how can he not be fine? I guess for anybody that says that, uh, you're entitled to your opinion. All you have to do is go back to the time he was here. Like, yes, there were a couple big plays and a couple big games. The one big one everybody brings up is South Carolina in like 13. When you like ball at the two and we don't hand it off to Todd. Yeah, that's the one everybody wants to bring up. Um, and that might have even been 2012. But other than that, go back and look. I mean, man was putting up 38 points and we we're giving up 45. I mean, what, you know, you call plays. You go out and you call plays for a team whose defense is giving up 45 a game. I mean, um, hell, you had, I would remember what we went and compiled the stats, man. 2013, yeah. you were giving up 29 points per game. So, so the big thing to me is Kirby did it in his in his opening presser today. He talked about Todd Munkin. He talked about the meeting he had with Todd Munkin before he left. The sit down, kind of last powwow. Todd telling him he's taking the job, he's leaving. But he kind of you know instilled this confidence in Kirby, saying, "Hey man, listen, like this is not just me." And I think Jake said it really good earlier too, talking about offensive coordinators, like. They are their own successor. Like, they live and die on plays they call. But they're not the only people calling the plays week in, week out. I mean, you know, Bobo called, I think Todd Munkin said that he called, like, three of the touchdown plays or four of the touchdown plays um, in the playoffs this year. Like, he came to Todd, like, over the month of December and was like, I think we should run these ten plays and four of them scored touchdowns in the playoffs. You know, it just is. It just shows you that hopefully Bobo's been, you know, the fire's been relit under him to be this offensive coordinator to do it for your alma mater again to get a chance that a lot of people don't get to kind of come back, prove everybody wrong, prove that you're an elite offensive coordinator, maybe win one with you as the offensive coordinator, you know, and then you have somebody with Carson Beck's talent. You just can't let him get in your way because your defense is going to be phenomenal. Your offensive line probably has five NFL draft picks on it. I mean, your tight end's the best tight end in the country. You have some of the best wide receivers in the country. You really just got to go out there and tell them where to be and when to be there. And I think they're going to kind of run out there and win games by themselves. Kind of, you know, 2019, 2020 Alabama type feel of like, you just send them out there and they're just better than everybody else they play. To a certain extent. True, 100%. So I want to I want to give a shout out to our final sponsor of the night, and that is Alumni Hall, uh, located in Athens, 10 minutes away from Sanford Stadium. Hey, 
licensed Nike, Cutter and Buck, you name it, they've got it all licensed uh, apparel accessories. Listen, we said 31 days till kickoff or till kickoff. Get your game day stuff, get your tailgating stuff at Alumni Hall. If you go in store, you can get 10% off, mention our show, or you can go online, scan the QR code, or go to dgdpodcast.com. Check out the drop down for the shop alumni hall. Get you some good clothes. Get you some nice tailgate stuff. You cannot go wrong with it, folks. Thank you, alumni hall. Kobe, before we depart, um, any final thoughts? Any Anything you need to get off your chest about this Auburn Tigers team? Mm, no, I'm, I'm pretty okay with Auburn right now. I, I think that like we talked about, I think that they're going to have a big test before us. Um, you know, I really don't see Cal at Cal testing them. I, I just don't – unless they have just a horrendous game with like 10 penalties and three turnovers, I think they kind of could even sleepwalk through their first three. They're going to have a big test in Texas A&M, but I like it because Auburn cannot go out there and peanut butter and jelly, vanilla – Texting them to death. They're going to have to show their hand. They're going to have to show you what they have and their tendencies. And you give Kirby a week of that. I just don't think that, uh, you know, he's going, if in doubt, he's going to take the ball out of Carson's hand in Auburn. He'll beat him on the old school, you know, 28 to 10 Kirby Smart, you know, death march. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the only thing I got to say before we wrap this thing up is we're going to beat the fuck out of Auburn. Like, this is, I don't. I ain't even gonna have to go into it. We'll we'll get there when the time comes. But we are going to beat the absolute fuck out of Auburn, and I cannot wait for that. Uh, one, I am not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Just not. With that being said, we're gonna wrap this thing up, Kobe. We will catch you next time, sir. As always, have a great night. Go dogs. Go dogs. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.